This week, I'm talking with author Jenna Birch about a new modern dating phenomenon called the love gap, a term she coined to define the reasons why men don't always pursue the smart, ambitious women they claim to want. Welcome to Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast about navigating modern life in our 20s and 30s. I'm your host, Melissa Guller, and each week we'll explore a new topic on work, relationships, lifestyle, and more. By the end of this episode, we'll explore how generations of male and female relationship roles have influenced modern dating. And we'll learn how to identify what Jenna calls the real deal, or someone who's ready for a real relationship. Lastly, Jenna will offer her best dating advice for both men and women, and she'll address one of the most common questions she hears. How do I know if I'm settling? Jenna Birch is a health and lifestyle journalist. Her work appears frequently in print and online publications, including Cosmopolitan, Glamour, Marie Claire, Psychology Today, health, and many more. She's here today to talk about her first book called The Love Gap, a radical plan to win in life and love. I do want to add one important note. This episode talks mostly about heterosexual pairings since Jenna's research focused on unique 21st century dynamics between men and women. But love is love here at Figuring It Out, and anyone searching for a meaningful relationship with any partner can hopefully benefit from Jenna's advice. Well, first up, you have to tell us, what is the love gap? Okay. So the love gap is is my theory on why men do not always date or pursue or commit to the women they claim to want. Um, it, and I've always been interested in psychological phenomena, I guess, that I couldn't explain. Or there are tons of studies out there all proving different things. Uh, I like to look at trends and figure out, you know, what's the truth? Because everyone's framing it in their own way. Uh, when it comes to scientific studies or social science, everyone has their own sort of ideas about it. Um, and then I have, as a journalist, I'm always crossing it with what's happening in real life and the stories that I hear from my friends and the stories I hear from the people I interview. And that's sort of where the love gap was born. It's like, you know, I heard from so many men that they wanted to date these smart, ambitious, you know, beautiful, fun, like awesome women who were all my friends at the time who were all crying to me about why they were single. Um, <laughs> And I had to figure it out because every guy I talked to claimed to want that. Um, and it was a very interesting uh, experience to interview the, for the book and, and to sort of come up with this new term about like why we're so afraid to commit uh, and men especially analyzing their problems through an interesting new lens. So the gap is between men and what's on the other side of the gap? Yeah. <sighs> Man, there's so many things on the other side of the gap, but really the gap, the gap is what's separating them from having the kind of relationship that they ultimately want to have, which is often these growing partnerships with, you know, somebody who's their equal, someone's going to push them, somebody that, you know, they really respect and they truly sort of, we have this assortative mating concept where, you know, we tend to like people who are very similar to us. Um, but there's always been these weird dynamics in relationships that, you know, in the past in our mother's or grandmother's era where, you know, men sort of were the head of the household or, you know, they were the part, the provider, the breadwinner. Uh, and now we have these fully capable women who are our natural men's natural matches, but they have to get to that 
like side where commitment with that person is viable, where they can feel like they have enough esteem to carry that relationship forward. So there's lots of things in the gap. Um, there's gender dynamics in the gap. There's, you know, men's internal narrative and, you know, all the, I guess all the worries about what a relationship should be or what commitment is going to entail, um, whether or not they're going to, you know, be able to be a capable provider and also, you know, be a partner, a full partner, which is a new concept, I think, for our generation where we're really embracing this term. So there's a lot. Um, bridging that gap is a hugely complicated and very individual, I think, situation for each couple and, you know, uh, each man and woman. So analyzing that's been, you know, really interesting and to see how people have been doing it because there is no roadmap anymore. Uh, to what commitment is going to look like and, you know, what we're ultimately going to end up with are these partnerships. But there are so many different ways to get there. Uh, there's no standard. Before I get into how to get there, too, I'd love to have yeah. you tell me, what is that end result? I know in your book, you tell us about this end goal woman. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the end goal woman, you know, the, the great thing about the end goal women are there's so many different types. It's, you know, like everybody's natural fit in the person that has the sort of connection that men ultimately want to have. Um, and when they meet that person who could potentially be a long-term, you know, viable partnership, that kind of triggers all these feelings of if they're ready for that, like ready was a big concept that men kept throwing out to me. What do you think that they mean by that, by ready? Ready is a very interesting thing. So I, I love that idea because it means different things to different people. Um, but in a guy's mind, a lot of these men have these ideas that once they had like a certain, you know, resume or they had a certain, you know, job or they had a certain, you know, level of physical fitness or, you know, confidence, whatever it was that they would be ready for a relationship um, of that magnitude, something that could potentially be long term. Um, but I also think ready is somewhat of a psychological concept where, you know, we're never fully, truly ready, but you have to kind of come to the place where you have the vulnerability to admit that, <laughs> to admit that it's going to be hard. It might be like difficult. Maybe it won't work out. You know, we don't always have to be perfect um, where you have that vulnerability to be like, I'm going to try, I'm going to truly try. Um, and that's what ready I think means. Uh, it's not always the same in reality is what it seems like in someone's head. Yeah. I think a good example of this, am I ready concept came from this study, which I'm just going to quote directly from your book. So you said a 2006 study out of Columbia University published in the Quarterly Journal of Economics is another example of the threat factor. The study looked at the qualities speed daters said they preferred in prospective dates. And before the study began, all the participants were asked to rate their own level of intelligence on a scale of one to 10 and then they were asked to rank the intelligence of the daters they encountered during each round of matching. And you said that the result is that men were interested in women who they perceived to be intelligent and ambitious, but that interest had limits. So guys were less into the ladies that they perceived to be smarter or more driven than themselves. So this is just one of dozens of studies you have in your book. But can you talk about the implications of studies like this on the modern dating and the readiness of men and women? Yeah. So my sort of theory and the way that I summed it up, I guess, as I was researching the book and kind of explaining it to people was that I really feel men's wants have evolved past their needs. So the idea about, you know, these kinds of studies is that men, um, intelligence has always been a masculine realm. I mean, we're kind of changing that, you know, as we move forward, you know, feminism has really helped in a lot of ways to sort of see women as equal, viable, and, you know, 
we're, we're going to start breaking those glass ceilings and get those CEO titles and all of those things, you know, men watch it with awe, but it's also sort of usurping their role as this like provider who's, you know, intelligent and capable and going to like be a breadwinner and, and a, somebody that can, you know, really add value to a relationship. I think that, uh, seeing some of their like power, I guess, diminish, um, that has really sort of changed the mindset. I don't think that they're actively aware of like this, uh, feeling I think that they have that it's like an emasculating feeling. And, and, and some of those things, uh, I, I don't think that we've fully given men like the permission to fully feel, you know, how they want about these, you know, evolving gender dynamics and to be able to explain when they feel vulnerable or when they feel emasculated or, you know, we haven't really given men the skills to cope with that yet. Uh, and there's a lot of studies that show like men are falling behind, like younger girls who are really growing up and, you know, embracing, you know, whatever it means to be a woman, we have a lot of flexibility in like building our self-concept, whereas men don't as much. It's it's very, it's quite rigid for them. Uh, they want to be intelligent. They want to be the best, you know, that we build boys up by saying, you know, you've achieved so much or we're so proud of you for winning and like all these buzz terms that are all you know, very concrete things where a certain definition of a man is like, you know, the ideal. And, and so many men are reaching for that, that when they see a woman kind of come up and kind of take that role away, she's smart, she's ambitious. She has, you know, the, the job or the position that he wants to have. That's all of a sudden, like, you know, bringing up these feelings of, am I ready to be a partner to this person? Am I going to feel, you know, great in the relationship or emasculated, uh, those things, even though men want to like be fully evolved and, you know, great and they are support the women that they're with. And I really believe that, but there are these underlying dynamics that, you know, they lead to these weird feelings uh, of discontent. And I think that men are like finally learning how to express it a little bit. And I loved being able to talk to them about these things when I was interviewing for my book. But uh, yeah, I think that it, it's tough on both men and women because men don't feel like they can fully admit it and women don't know what's going on. Absolutely. <laughs> because there are, these, there are these great catches and everyone tells them so. And if they hear one more time, you know, why are you single? They're going to like pull their <laughs> hair out and start like, it, it's just, a, it's a nightmare. These poor girls too. Yeah. Um, I have to say there was also, you mentioned that this is, you know, reflective of men's readiness, but a big aha from the book too, is that you said as more women are coming into these traditionally male strengths, that's pushing a lot of men to the extreme end of what it means to be a man. And that was not something I had considered before. Right. I mean, it's one of those subconscious things when someone, you know, uh, we, we've sort of glorified masculinity in, in a strange way that I don't think it was meant to happen that way. But, you know, us, feminist women were like, we want the same roles and positions and opportunity as men. So when we infiltrated those fields, we didn't really say like, Oh, femininity is perfectly viable and like an amazing thing. Uh, it builds relationships It like, you know, it's the glue that relational glue that holds us all together. We kind of didn't really have that aha moment, I guess, where we thought, you know, Oh, well we need both. We need the elements of masculinity and the elements of femininity to have like a fully evolved society and relationships within that. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up, actually, the glue concept, because I had not thought before, you mentioned it, that women tend to bring the emotional support and we've been kind of brought up around expressing feelings, maybe in a way that is healthier than men are. And I hadn't really thought about how the women are doing this emotional heavy lifting. And you mentioned, too, that that's really what a lot of men 
are looking for, although maybe they haven't realized it yet. Right. It's really complicated because I never wanted to, I didn't want to fully assert like women, you know, it's your job to do all the emotional labor. Like this Mm -hmm. is all on you. But at the same time, we've been given skills. I think overall we've been socialized differently than boys uh, from the time we're young, like men kind of, you know, they brought up, they were playing soccer and, you know, they were like, you know, basketball on the playground and nothing was interpersonal, <laughs> you know, yeah, if, if they lost, they moved on. If somebody's feelings got hurt, no one talked about it. And it was just, it was done. But we kind of grew up having these like great relationships with different people. You know, a lot of women I know, you know, have mentors and good friends, you know, we hug and we laugh. And if there's a breakup, we cry it out together. Like men don't have that same level of emotional support. Uh, And a lot of the only, you know, vulnerability aspects that they're learning are within the concepts of relationships that, you know, they form with women later on. And, And that's kind of their first introduction in a lot of ways to this relationship building, you know, they're learning from scratch, whereas like women have been kind of brought up to be interpersonal. That's such a great clarification, because it's not that women should be the ones carrying this torch of all of it. No, it's that we've no. been taught in a way that maybe men haven't. And so we have right. to maybe help them out a little more. What's a little bit complicated there. And, and what I wanted to, you know, I'm a big proponent of emphasizing this, you know, from a very young age, I hope that the next generation and I'm really hopeful from, you know, Gen Z and all the kids that I've talked to there, these, they're so bright and interesting and fully well-rounded and, you know, able to be vulnerable. I really feel like perhaps they're going to have a big shift in the way that they are able to build relationships, especially young boys, but we sort of miss the boat with this generation of men. Like we can't go back and re-socialize them differently from the time that they're young. So what I wanted to do instead was sort of empower women to realize what skills they've been naturally equipped with, which maybe men haven't had that same opportunity. So most of the book, I really wanted to sort of give women the ability to step inside a guy's shoes um, as they're trying to form relationships and understand some of the barriers on the way to commitment. And without giving the whole book away, because of course we really want people to go read this book. It's excellent. I went through it in like two sittings. I couldn't put it down. What would you say are maybe some of those barriers that you're talking about? Yeah, it's really complicated. A a lot of the barriers, I think too, um, I, I would say that I think that men think that things have to happen in a certain order. And, and that's something that I saw with with men very frequently. There was a there was definitely an order to building relationships where having your career set and traveling and playing the field, things like that were all covered before you got to the relationship you wanted to have. But life doesn't really work that way. <laughs> you encounter the people that you encounter um, and you feel connections of various levels throughout your life. It's not this clear-cut path where you know, one person is going to walk into your life at the exact right time. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't work that way. So I think that the the ability to be more flexible, women have sort of been caught with that too. I love, you know, Helen Fisher's theories. I've obviously been, uh, I, I really love them. Her idea of web thinkers, like women are web thinkers where they're holistic and they are flexible and, and they're creative and they will come up with solutions to make, you know, their whole life work. And we have a better sense of balance, whereas men are linear step thinkers. They do one thing at a time. They do it well, they move on to the next thing. But life is way too messy for that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the barriers to commitment are those, you know, uh, it's just the idea that they don't have their lives fully set up the way that they want to before they're going to commit that comes at the end of the road. That's why I named this girl the end goal woman, because she's the one that comes last. Mm -hmm. It's the person that they want to walk into their life at the exact right moment, except it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It's much messier. Thank mm-hmm. you.
So I'm curious, when all of our listeners are dating, what is some advice that you have? Maybe for the women, what's some advice you would give and maybe then the men? The first bit of advice is I, I really want people to take what they think they know about dating and kind of at least put it under a microscope. I want them to think about, you know, is this really, it? Is this a rule? Is this, or is, you know, some expectation that was set by older generations or my friends or whatever it was? Um, or is this something that like, I feel I want to do? Like you want to really pursue connections that uh, possibly have that long-term viability. A lot of us do want to pursue those types of connections. So do you have an example of a rule? A rule for me? Yeah. I mean, I had to really, I mean, I was such a rule person where mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the first guys I ever dated was just like, Jenna, you have so many rules. And it was because I was, I grew up on the concept of following rules would get you to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but relationships aren't like that. Like he's, when you have someone jump through a hoop or like a rule for me would be like, you know, oh, I, you know, if he doesn't ask for a date two to three days in advance, then like, I'm not going to go out with him. I'm going to pretend I'm busy. Mm -hmm. Like those rules Mm -hmm. where you're trying to set up, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot (laughs) because there's that following that rule uh, or something that someone else has told you to do, you know, it's not going to necessarily bring about an authentic connection, you know, based on, you know, doing what I want to do in an authentic way. Uh, by acting busy and pretending I don't care, that's not going to lead to the vulnerability that it requires to have an actual relationship. Yeah. Or another role I was told is that you should never make the first move as a woman. You should oh, always yeah. wait. Yeah. So some of the best guys, I feel like, have the hardest time making the first move. Uh, and so many of my friends now have, I feel like, married men where they had to make the first move. And, and so many of them were strong, like successful career types where they're like, I don't, you know, I, I don't wait around for anything else in my life. You know, why have I been told to wait around and not show interest and play those games? Uh, It all is derived out of this sense of inauthenticity where you're not doing what you want to do. You're doing what other people uh, told you to do, or you want to maintain the upper hand. So uh, I want people to throw that out and just, you know, get used to the idea of putting yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to be messy. I hope you end up doing the things that you want to do. Um, And just like, don't let other people define, you know, what dating is to you and what relationship building is to you. I think that you have to do that on a personal level in each situation and each guy or girl you meet is going to be completely different. So, you know, take everything you've heard with a grain of salt. That's the first step. I know another rule I think I was taught is that there's a certain type of cool girl that Mm -hmm. men are looking for. And so Mm -hmm. I tried to play this cool girl and then quickly realized I was only attracting partners who wanted that. And I'm like a big giant nerd and I have all of these quirks that I love, but by hiding them, I was just masking the real me from men for longer. Right. Exactly. And I think it's very natural to feel reluctant to put yourself out there. Like it's, it's very hard to be vulnerable, but if you realize being authentic, um, draws the right people to you and will repel the wrong people, especially if they don't want relationships. Uh, if you act in ways that would build a relationship, they're not going to respond positively and it will save you the heartache. So I really like to tell women, don't worry if they don't respond well. They're giving you important information about compatibility. Uh, and it's early on. I think we take everything personal. It's so easy to take mm-hmm. things personally and they might not even be in the time of their life where they would pursue that like a relationship at all. Um, only would want a cruel girl who just is chill and doesn't have any expectations for them at all. And I think that I, I like the idea of being uncool. I wrote recently a column about just being super uncool <laughs> in like 
being desperate for friends, which was me at a time. So if, if you, not that you need to be desperate for a relationship, you're not, but act, don't think that reaching out is going to like, look like desperation. It's not, you want to authentically get to know someone. If the person doesn't authentically want to get to know you, uh, an emotionally fulfilling way, that's amazing data. Don't discard it what they do and what they don't do, both important pieces of information. (laughs) I really like that you're framing it as just collecting data and information because like you said, early on, it's easy to think that it's all about me and he didn't like the way that I said something or the way that I acted. But the truth is they might be the one at fault. Maybe it is about them and not to say they're a bad person. They could just be looking for something else. They could be looking for something short-term and you're looking for long-term or they're looking for a personality and you don't have that personality. doesn't make either of you bad people. just means you're looking for not each other. Right. It's so personal. And I, I just wanted people to know, and I tell women all the time, it's, you don't know them well enough for it to be truly personal, uh, especially early on. You just don't. It takes like years sometimes to develop the kind of relationship where you really know somebody deep to the mm-hmm. core. Um, and when those incompatibilities come out early, you're really saving yourself the trouble uh, of heartache down the road. So I think being the most inauthentic, sometimes uncool person where you throw your quirks out there is only going to help you. Uh, it might seem like you have fewer options, which I think people are afraid of. But if you have better options, it doesn't really matter. Like that's exactly. really the only thing you want at the end of the day is, is the ones to come out that are going to be mutually beneficial, like growth oriented relationships. And if you don't show your true self, you're not going to attract those people. Arguably, we're only looking for one. Right. Arguably, most people that I talk to are really looking for the one. I think that that's very true, whether it's defined. Most people don't think there's a mythic one, but you know they want the one that they choose that they're truly compatible with. So if you're looking for that, it doesn't matter if you had you know 100 options before that or you only had three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you had three quality options and you end up with somebody versus 100, like that you had to go through this exhausting tire process of, of filtering or, or, you know, ups and downs and roller coasters to get to where you want it to be, then, you know, whose process was better? Arguably, uh, you know, I would take the three, Yeah, <laughs> but, but that's me. Um, everybody's a little bit different, but don't think that you have to play by these rules where you're, you're going to get lots of options and interest. It just doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. I think that's great advice. So throw the rules out the window. Yes, for sure. <laughs> What other advice? I know we had some other pieces of advice coming earlier. Yeah. Um, other advice, which I would, I've tailored towards women, but I, I do want to emphasize that like men can use this too, if they're ready for a relationship. I have a really good friend um, that lives out of state, um, but we talk on the phone a lot and he uses the same concepts, you know, because he's truly ready for a relationship um, that I talk about in filtering in the book. So it can work for men or women. It's just arguably more, you know, relevant for women, especially I I have make these arguments in the book Mm -hmm. that women are ready for relationships. But I do want to say that for any male listeners that may be out there. So what advice Um, would you give that could apply to both men and women listening? Yeah. So I'd say the ready and not ready concept is something that I tell people all the time. So as opposed to filtering people in and out, I'm saying that you should filter them into camps. Uh, you know, not ready guys will tell you who they are and ready guys will tell you who they are. Um, ready means that they're ready to form a fulfilling relationship and put in that kind of work. They're probably ready for commitment and looking for that. And whether they say it or not, they'll indirectly say it. And the same thing with the guys who are not ready, they're going to tell you certain things that will sort of, you know, one of the 
uh, interviewees that I talked to, one of the women, she liked to call it the mitigating expectations talk, mm-hmm. where they would, you know, talk about how busy they were all the time, or the career was really slammed, they had travel in the future, you know, all these problems in their life that might prevent them for showing, from showing up for you. Right. So, so they're not going to come out and say, I'm not ready, just so yeah. you know. They're going to tell you something else, like the I'm busy, it's not a good yeah. time for me, but there's right. going to be a hint. Right. And and they'll keep coming back. It's that breadcrumbing. They'll bait you just enough. Mm-hmm. They'll be in and out. But um, I, I didn't necessarily tell women. I, I didn't want to tell women what to do. That was something that was really important to me. I didn't want to tell readers what to do. Um, but I did want to tell them, listen to everything that a guy tells you. Listen to everything or a woman tells you. Listen to all the things that they're saying that show that they're probably not ready for commitment. So when it comes down to it, if they don't commit, like you can't say you didn't know, you knew it. Like up front, you chose to take that risk and that's great. And it's totally worthwhile, I think, in some in some places to take those risks. Some people that aren't ready, I've seen that work out for women and men um, who who showed up for someone who wasn't and proved that commitment just wasn't as scary as they thought. I thought that was great advice, though, in the book, that men will tell you. And I think most women will hint at it, too. Yeah. Uh, and, and I just think that the signs are going to look – they're just going to look like markers of busyness. Mm-hmm. And I think that people should always think about that. You know, the job, the friends, the travel, the family obligations, all of it's going to be reasons that they can't show up. Mm-hmm. A guy who's truly ready and, like, interested in forming a relationship with you, he's not going to tell you that he's probably going out of town for a while and, you know, may not have cell reception. I have no idea. Yeah. but. He's going to tell you that he's not, oh, I have a business trip or, you know, I'm transitioning jobs. Maybe I'm thinking about a move. He's not going to tell you all these reasons not to date him. That's not going to help his cause at all. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be barriers to commitment. Yeah. So that kind of guy is going to say, you know, either, you know, I'm looking for a partner or, you know, I've made all this. You can tell they made room in their life. Or if they say something that might be potentially problematic, like, oh, I've been looking at other jobs, but, you know, maybe out of state. But they'd be like, well, but if I have a reason to stay, then I'm totally open to that, too. They're going to try to come back and tell you things that will make you feel comfortable forming those relationships. So those are the guys that are kind of like the holy grail in a lot of ways. But, of course, you can't magically connect with everybody. So that might not be your person. But it's great if you can find that. And you kind of go in knowing the vulnerability will be okay and accepted, I think, in a lot of those ways. You can feel confident and pretty comfortable being your true self and and kind of forming that relationship, maybe even the standard way, the classic way. I think that it's more prone to having two people coming together at the same time in their lives. Uh, The the relationship can go in a relatively straightforward manner. A lot of people that I knew who did that, um, they found a guy who was ready. Uh, The relationship timeline was much shorter. They they got into committed relationships or been married faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite stories was the couple who it was her first Tinder date in L.A., uh, and she'd been on the she'd been on the dating scene in New York forever, hated it. But she went out on her first date in LA, and this guy just happened to be ready. He'd been on the app for like two and a half years, and was kind of looking for the right person. Uh, and they hit it off, and he just like you know he was there, he was consistent all the time. Like he you know was like I want to be exclusive after you know a handful of dates, and they spent a lot of time together, and then eventually cleared out a drawer for her. All these little things to show like you can be you're safe with me. Like I'm making room for you in my life. Um, and they got engaged about four months in, I think. So wow. it went pretty fast, but they, he put consistent effort into getting to know her. Uh, he had call, phone calls at the same time every day. He was really, really consistent in that way. And it's something that when you find a guy who's ready, you can kind of be safe knowing that 
you know, it's going to be okay. You're in the same spot. Try not to freak out because it's really rare. (laughs) Well, I think that makes a ton of sense too, because the timeline of the two of them overlapping and a relationship was maybe shorter, but they had both done their own timeline work before they met to maybe approach this ready point. So I Mm -hmm. think this is important for listeners to hear too, because the length of time between when you meet somebody and when you hit other milestones is going to be very personal, depending on maybe the point on your personal timeline that you arrived at the relationship. Right, right. It's going to be totally different for everybody. And, and that's and I okay. People, yeah, it's totally fine. All of it's good. And I think that mm-hmm. if we can have some understanding and acceptance about everybody's different timelines, that's really important. Everything that I do, I think, is to try to bridge these gaps and you know, thinking everyone takes the same way you do is, is not a good way to approach life. There's yeah. so many different timelines, so many different journeys. Um, you want someone to feel ready and comfortable, but you can't really get them there any faster. They're going to get there when they get there. All right, next up, I want to talk about settling because it seems like one of the biggest questions, at least on a lot of my friends' minds and people I'm talking to is, how do I know if I'm settling? So is there a magic answer to this question? Really, you can talk about it so many different ways, but settling is somebody that sort of makes you better. And it has, I have like the trifecta of connection, which I think is uh, intellectual connection, emotional connection, and physical connection, all those things together um, kind of create this great relationship. And I talk about it sort of as like a three-legged stool. Uh, you can't have just two of the three legs of the stool. And, and that's what I seem to see a lot of women kind of come up against is, is they are really emotionally connected to someone physically connected, but they don't have the intellectual connection or, you know, it's an emotional connection. They feel that they're constantly distant. And so they have two legs of the stool, but the minute you try to like really commit to that and jump onto that, it, that it's just going to fall over. It's, it's not going to last. They all need to be there. Tell us the three again, because I think this is such yeah. a powerful concept. This is an intellectual connection and you have emotional connection and you have physical connection. All those things sort of create this trifecta of connection where you're going to feel like this person is different. This person is fulfilling my needs uh, and feeding me and helping me grow. And I think that that's important. So I see a lot of people, you know, they sacrifice on one and they think, you know, well, it's so hard to find the right person that maybe I'm only going to get two of the three things. And, and I think that uh, they have different ways of approaching it, but pretty much everybody you know, it is coming to me with two of the three legs when they're thinking about settling. They're like, you know, I, I, he feels distant, but we have great physical chemistry and we have really good conversations when he's there, but he's constantly distant. Like he's in and out Mm -hmm. or, you know, they want to marry their best friend. They can have great conversations with, but there's no chemistry or, you know, the, the intellectual one is a big one. I think too, for women today that want to grow and they want to feel like that person kind of makes them more curious and, mm-hmm. and wants to engage with them on intellectual discussions isn't kind of batting them away. But and I like what you're saying. Too. Like we need all three of them and it's not too much to ask no. for all three in one connection. No, but once you all. find all three of those, I loved what you were saying. And when I read this in the book, it kind of knocked me over of you are settling if you think you are. Yeah, And it's really- so simple to say it, but I think it's so powerful just to think you'll know in your gut. And I love this idea of maybe it's because one of those three legs of the stool isn't there. Maybe it's just a friendship and you want to have that physical connection as an example, but that's not there and that's okay. You can yeah. ask for more. You can ask for all three legs of the stool, but you'll know if you're settling. Oof, that was yeah. such an aha moment for me. 
Yeah. And and I want people to realize too, that like settling is also, you know, it's a process of data building and collecting it against what you don't know. So I think that until you've like tested the lay of the land and you've got like some pieces of the puzzle in place, you know, like some potential ways your life could pan out and you know, some versions of connection out there, that is all going to help you define what settling is and what it isn't. Uh, and you, if you think you are, there's also a possibility that you just can't appreciate the connection in front of you yet. You have to go mm-hmm. gather more data. You've got to go keep building your life. You have to go, um, you know, you have to keep dating around and seeing what else is out there. If you think it might be out there and you have those doubts, it's going to lead to like the disruption of your entire relationship. That's such great advice. And I'm sure it's exactly what so many listeners need to hear right now. Yeah, it's it's super common. Jenna is always gathering dating data. So we'd love to hear more about your experience as a modern dater at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash three. Plus, you should all read Jenna's book. We barely skimmed the surface of some of my top takeaways today, so I'd highly recommend it to anyone attempting to date nowadays. After you read through, let us know which part stuck out to you at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash three. Thanks so much for joining us this week. You can buy Jenna's book, The Love Gap, anywhere you buy books. And you can connect with Jenna on her website at jennabirch.com. We have a link to Jenna's book, her website, her social media accounts, and everything else we mentioned today in the show notes at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash three. That's the number three. While you're there, please subscribe to our podcast. Subscribing lets us send you new episodes automatically each week. Plus, you'll be the first to hear about infrequent special announcements or the chance to vote for future topics or hear your own voice on the show. Again, you can subscribe and see Jenna's book in the show notes at figuringitoutpodcast.com slash three. I hope you enjoyed this episode about the love gap and our unique modern dating challenges with author Jenna Birch. I'm Melissa Guller, and you've been listening to Figuring It Out. See you next week.